Hello and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast, episode 13, coming to you virtually from Casa de Quinn and 1111 Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Matt Haver. And I'm Greg Heilman. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Each week, we bring you entertainment news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interview talented local actors and directors, and chat with industry experts from L.A. to the U.K., In a few moments, we'll be joined by actor, director, and theater coach Sandy Carlson. But first, we wanted to quickly remind you all about the 2021 West Sound Film Festival being held online this year and free of charge in support of all the artists and filmmakers impacted by the quarantine. Dozens of films produced locally and from around the country and the world are going to be available to view online uh, today through Sunday the 31st. So visit westsoundfilmfestival.com for more information and a link to their Vimeo page where all the films are going to be available through 11.59 p.m. Sunday night. And uh, following the festival, we'll also be presenting a very special In the Mix review, giving our thoughts on the film and uh, the award winners. And don't forget, Heilman and Haver can now be heard weekly. We've got a great lineup planned for February, including screenwriters, composers, and more. So be sure to tune in every Friday. Coming up next week, February 5th, we'll be joined by Gordon Adams, talent representative for the Seattle-based Big Fish Northwest. Gordon and his team represent professional performers for on-camera projects, commercials, industrial films, feature films, major motion pictures, training videos, voiceover, and print and still photography. He joins us for an inside look at talent representation and some tips on how to land an agent that will land you jobs. And now we're pleased to be joined by acting coach, director, performer, and proud parent artist, Zandy Carlson. Zandy is the host of the soon-to-be-released Developing Character podcast, where she interviews theater artists on the life events which have shaped them professionally and personally. And coming up in spring 2021, Zandy will be playing Iago in a virtual production of Othello with the Women's Theater Festival. She holds a BFA in acting from Oklahoma City University and joins us from her home studio in Seattle. Welcome, Zandy. Hi, hello. Welcome. So, Zandy, you graduated magna cum laude from Oklahoma City University with the BFA in in acting. Did you always know that acting was what you wanted to pursue? And when did you kind of get bit by that bug? Yeah, I think so. I was um, I started doing theater productions when I was in elementary school, and I, my very first show was The Sound of Music, and I played Rolf, the Nazi. <laughs> um, And I think I even one time like lost my armband, which is, you know, if you think about like, I don't know, a second, third grader doing that, that seems very bizarre. Now looking back at that show, odd selection, but I loved it. It was so much fun. And I started doing summer camps every year and adding more music and dance programs uh, and acting whenever I could. And so that's how I was introduced to it. And what was wonderful was I struggled with a lot of learning disabilities as a kid. I had dyslexia, auditory processing disorder. Years later in my 30s, I was diagnosed with ADHD. And so I was dealing with that too, but it looks different in girls than in little boys. So it wasn't diagnosed, but finding a place where I suddenly had a purpose and a reason to learn how to read and focus really hard and feel supported in my community, that felt so good and so validating. And so as, as a, a young kid, it kind of was my place where I felt supported and I had a purpose and I loved it. So you've come a long way since that, uh, mm-hmm. that original production of Sound of Music. Yeah. You're, you're now an active member of uh, Seattle's Theater 912 group, where Charles Waxberg is uh, artistic director. 
I was doing some research and Charles studied with uh, the group theater, Stella Adler, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> incredible. Uh, Adler studied with Stanislavski. Now, coming up in the theater, was there a school of acting technique that you ascribed to or that you started researching at a young age? I think as a, as a kid, I didn't really know any specific school. It wasn't until uh, I was taking some classes at Seattle Children's Theater and then more in college where I was really learning about the different technique styles. But yeah, what a fun lineage to have <laughs> Charles and then Stella and then Stanislavski, who is a, you know, a big acting technique guy. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't really know anything until, until college really. And Stanislavski technique has a lot to do with those foundational elements in terms of using your imagination and understanding the given circumstances of the play so that you can play believable characters and things like objective obstacles and tactics are all foundational elements that I would, that I love uh, working on my own and with my students. And I think is really important for people to be aware of, but I also feel like with each role you have, there might be a different doorway into the character. And so if you just have one technique that you're relying on and it's not fitting whichever character you're working on in that moment, then you're a little stuck. So it's always good to have multiple tools in your actor toolbox to pull from. And I'm really grateful that in school, I also had a really fantastic movement professor. So we were doing things like clowning and viewpoints and Laban and Lecoq. And um, Tony Asina, my professor, was also the founder of Intimacy Directors International. And so we got that kind of training in college while it was still, she was developing it, um, which is really special and wonderful. So I, I love Stanislavski technique and I also pull from movement as well. You find that when students come in without any sort of technique that they've learned, kind of just that natural talent, do they gravitate towards a certain technique just naturally based on personality? So somebody without any of that kind of formal. The training. Yeah. So I feel like most people, when you're starting out, you don't really know what you're doing. You're just trying to say the lines in an interesting way and see what works. And it's not until you start taking acting classes and someone says, hey, this is Stanislavski technique, or this is whatever, um, that you really start to realize what the differences are. And um, But I think it's all, it's all different ways in to be truthful in the character. And if you're working with a certain teacher and it's not fitting for you, then find a different person, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with being like, I love this. That doesn't really work for me because what my professors in college always used to say is, I don't care what you feel, the actor. I care what I feel, the audience member, right? So the audience doesn't care what technique you're using. They just want to see a good performance. Same with casting. The casting directors don't know what style you're using. They just want to see you come in and, and own the role and be entertaining. So I think it doesn't really matter what it is as long as it gets you being truthful and making interesting choices. So uh, a lot of actors out there, amateur and professional, are very set in their ways as far as what school they're from. I'm a method guy. I'm a, a Meisner guy. I'm a Strasbourg guy. From what it sounds like, these are all people that you should draw from for inspiration and technique. Uh, you know, use whatever whatever paintbrush works for the setting, for the character, for the for the production that you're in. If a new actor, say uh, someone like myself uh, at any age, was going to look for someone to read or really jump into first as a technique, uh, who would you recommend? 
So I would say if you're looking for like the first book to read, I would not read a technical book. Um, I would recommend Audition by Michael Shirtliff. It is more than just about auditioning. It has so much to do with acting and it's not a specific method, but he has these 12 guideposts that he lays out to make a interesting, truthful, believable character. And there are things like relationship and conflict, moment before, humor, opposites, and all these various things. And it's such good information about how do we think about these characters? How can we look at the text that we have and make interesting choices, not just the surface level, but creating multidimensional, rich characters who are thinking and processing and feeling, um, because that's what we want to see, right? If we're just standing there saying the lines, it's not super interesting, but if we can find that conflict and that, that humor and everything, it's, it's so alive and interesting. So his book, I used to read it about once a year. Um, now it's, it's every couple of years, I go back and revisit it, but I think that is just one of the best ones for auditioning and then acting in general. Perfect. We'll get that uh, linked in the show notes. So folks can pick up a copy. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and we've had guests on who have transitioned from acting to directing and they've each got you know, their own unique story of how they tra- made that transition. So you've directed or worked as an assistant director in over 20 plays. When did you first tr- start to make that transition to directing? So when I was in college, I assisted on a few uh, few shows and that was fun. But I, I really thought like, I'm just going to be an actor. Like, that's all I want to do. And as, as I've done more theater, I really, my bread and butter is in teaching and working in youth theater. And so when you're teaching these classes, oftentimes there is a performance element and there's a show. So I started directing, you know, like 30 to 50 children doing uh, plays and musicals and Shakespeare. And I, you know, honestly, I think if you can deal with children on stage, you can direct anyone. (laughs) Um, Because if you can make that an interesting and exciting show and corral everyone, that's a lot, you know, it's a lot of energy, but Uh, It's so much fun. So I was doing educational theater with Seattle Shakespeare and Youth Theater Northwest and uh, the Children's Theater and all over. And then I started assisting a little bit more with mid-sized theater companies and teach, um, not teaching, uh, directing some one acts. And then my first full directing gig was with the no longer, but wonderful theater company stage, right. And I did William Finn's a new brain, which is a musical about a composer. It's semi autobiographical. A composer is diagnosed with something wrong with his brain. And he's wondering, will he ever write that great musical that he always wanted to do? And yeah, since then I've been trying to direct more and couple things together. And 2020 was the year I was going to really focus (laughs) (laughs) on working with some larger theater companies and you can guess how that turned out so what would you say make uh, what qualities make a good director uh and and what advice would you have for someone interested in making the jump to directing for the first time do you necessarily need to have acted for a certain amount of years is there a natural progression or if someone's interested in directing can they jump right into it you know as someone who was an actor first, I can't, I don't know what it would look like going into directing without being an actor, but I'm sure if, if it's something that you're interested in, there's many different paths to becoming a successful 
um, performer or artist in some way? What makes a good director? I think great directors should be really good at script analysis. They should be able to look at the text of the play and make choices from there. I think one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen as an actor is when I'm working with someone who's trying to go against the text and I'll be like, but that doesn't make sense based on the text. And they're like, but my concept, right? Um, (laughs) And I think concepts are great, but it should be supported by the text. So really understanding script analysis, having a vision grounded in the story so that you're telling a compelling story that you're able to put all the pieces together that, I mean, the director is the one who kind of oversees everything, right? They work with the actors, but they are also working with the designers and how do we all fit everything together? And a really good director will make everything successful. And in order to do that, you also have to be really good at collaborating with people. And I think that as a director, you should have an idea of how things should go, but also be open to collaboration. And I always feel like the best idea wins in the room. If someone else has a better idea, we should be doing that one um, because we all want it to be successful. And then the, the most important thing for a director is to create a safe and collaborative room for people to work in. I think that they are the ones who set the tone and create that good, healthy environment. And so that really makes a difference when you are an actor or a designer, I'm sure, to feel like your ideas are heard, you can make mistakes, and you're going to be supported and your best work will come to the performance. Have you ever had an up, a, a time when someone not necessarily changed your mind, but made you see something a little bit different that um, you thought the script, hey, this is what I, my vision is, but the actor said, hey, I think this is my vision. And then you've maybe had that compromise or met in the middle. You know, I can't think of a specific moment right now. It just feels like we're so far away from when I was <laughs> working Indeed. with people. Um, but I do feel like I have had moments where I don't see the full picture and I can say like, these are the pieces that I have actors. Can you help me out and fill in the gaps that I have? And I've had actors rise to the occasion and then I'm like, oh, that is so much better than the fragments that I had cobbled together so far. Um, So yes, I've definitely seen actors take something and elevate it. I think that really good actors are ones that can make big, bold choices and sometimes fill in the gaps from the text or from the director if it's not there. Now, sometimes you're working with amazing directors and amazing text, but I've also worked on some scripts that just are not the greatest. (laughs) And and to your point, building that collaborative (laughs) environment where an actor is confident to come to you and, and, and talk about it or bring up their ideas is probably paramount to making this all successful. Yes. And I would say, make the choice first as an actor, like don't wait for a director to say, Hey, will you make a choice? make a choice. You are a choice maker. You are a actor. You are making action. Um, so come in with an idea and then they'll tell you if they don't like it, right? That's, that's up to the, mm-hmm. the director to say like, ah, it doesn't really work, but start making those choices from the get-go. And then if they really say like, Hey, can you, can you fill this? Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, as a director, we love to hear stories of 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 instances when the director has been had the super proud moment uh, with with their cast or with their crew or just a show. What is a, a moment that you've had that stands out that you've been specifically proud of your actors? I feel like every show I've directed, I've I've felt excited and proud about the show, and I think one of the things I love so much in in any process in teaching in rehearsing um in directing or being a performer is the moment where it just clicks something hasn't been working you don't quite have it and then suddenly god that 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 magical moment and and i don't you don't always know when it's going to come or if it's going to come uh and and what it'll be but i feel like there's moments in that in everything that I do. And I think that's what I'm constantly seeking is that aha or, Oh, I finally get it. This finally makes sense. So I feel that I feel that way all often. And I'm constantly searching for that. It's funny. The thing about directing of like being super proud, like you are so proud, but you're also nervous. I think people think that the performers are going to be nervous because they're like, oh, they're performing. They had to memorize all those lines, which like, that's not the hardest part, but people think it is right. And oh, so many lines and you're in front of people and you're talking like, wow, but the directors can be nervous too, because by the time the performance is happening, we're no longer in charge and we can't do anything to save the show. If something happens, at least as an actor, like if someone drops the ball or, you know, literally a prop or is missing lines or whatever, whatever happens, like your zipper won't go up. There's this adrenaline and you fix it. And it's so exciting, right? You, the show must go on. But as a director, you're just like sitting there being like, Oh, pick up the thing. Are you, are they going to make it? Is the thing. And you have no control anymore. And you know, like maybe I went into directing a little bit because I do like control. Um, <laughs> and now, now I'm a parent and I have no control, right? Uh, I'm in charge, but I'm not in control. But yeah, what well, is the proverbial parent moment? Uh, you know, the, the sending the, the kid off to college. It's like, well, we've done our best. Let's see how they do. You right, know, right. I, you have to trust the performers and the stage manager and the crew to like take care of your baby. Right. <laughs> it's out right. there. Um, but that's also one of the really exciting things is like, you've poured so much into it and now other people can, you know, let it take off. And that's also really exciting. So along with directing, stage management, choreography, you've appeared as an actor in five films, music videos, commercials, countless stage productions. Are there certain skills you find that apply universally to all these different undertakings and different mediums? I'm just like listening to that. I'm like, wow, I've really done a lot of stuff. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say the most important thing is a good work ethic, showing up prepared, showing up ready to work, having a good attitude, being someone reliable and offering, offering good ideas. I've frequently read that a director uh, or stage manager would prefer a friendly person with a good work ethic who's on time than a genius any day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised that there still are like asshole talents out there who are like just jerks to work with and keep getting jobs because I, I do think for the most part, yeah, people want you're, you know, you're spending so much time in rehearsals and in performances and that you just don't want to be around the people who make you feel crummy. 
Um, yeah, you just don't, you want to be around people that you like and that you feel good. And like, you want to create that positive environment. Um, so one of the things I cast a show that was supposed to go up last spring in 2020, of course it didn't. So we got to the point where we had cast the show and it was scripts were sent out, but we hadn't even had our first rehearsal. It was like the next week, um, when we shut it down. But one of the things I was so proud of is I had friends email me and text me and say, oh my gosh, so-and-so is in your cast. They are the best. They are the nicest. They are the coolest person. And I was like, yes, this is who I want to be working with. These are the people that I want to be around. And I, and I chose them because they were talented. I didn't say like, well, you're very nice. So I'm, you know, I chose them because they were prepared and funny and they were really kind and happy to be there. And I felt, yeah, I felt like, oh, these are the people I want to spend time with, you know, especially, especially now that I'm a parent, if I'm going to be away from my family, if you're going to be away from them a certain amount of hours, you, you want to be around people that you feel great around and you're creating good stuff with, right? I'm not going to give up, uh, my, my baby rolling over for the first time to be in, in a, uncomfortable, toxic room. Well, and we've spoke with uh, Doug Fall uh, recently uh, with the Augmented Actor. I'm sure you've run into Doug in your travels. And he spoke of the constellation. I really like that imagery, the constellation of contacts that you build in theater and in life, really, and how you should always bring your best self preparedness, professionalism, just generally just being a good human uh, because directors talk to one another. Not, not that that's the only reason, but obviously they do. It's Mm -hmm. a small community, um, even, even Seattle, even this region, and they will talk. And uh, you know, uh, you don't want to be known as that prima donna. You don't want to be known as that asshole that just is out there for themselves. Honestly, I had a person in the industry I'll protect what they do to be less specific. But a person in the industry texted me and say, look at all these people taking vacations and hanging out without masks. It makes me not want to work with them in the future because mm-hmm. they don't care about people. You know, I. It does make you think. Right. Like who you are as a human has so much to do with how you're going to work as a teammate, as a company member. And yeah, I think, I think it matters. If you're going to make an impression, right. And five years down the line, somebody's looking to cast a show or need somebody that, you know, uh, they want to work with better to cast a good impression so that you're thought of in that positive way. And maybe that five years down the line, somebody pulls you into something that you didn't expect because you never know, like Matt was saying about the constellation, everybody knows everybody. And it's uh, so much better to a just treat people nice because it's the right thing to do mm-hmm. but it also could you know benefit you down the line as well you're constantly auditioning right like i i have actor friends and i cast them in my head and i think mm-hmm. gosh if i ever do a show like Mer, i want to use that person and i may not ever direct that show and i may not ever work with that person but because I know them and because I, I see them post things online and they're like, here's me singing this song and here's me doing this thing. And here's a short film that I wrote and start in and all these things. Like as you're putting that out there, 
that is fueling the ideas in, in directors' minds of like, Ooh, that's so cool. I might want to, I might want to work with them. And I've had people audition for me who I didn't cast in that show who I can't wait until I have a role for them. Oh, that's a thing I just wish actors knew is like, just because you didn't get it didn't mean that you didn't book the room. They are cheer, they, you know, the, the people casting the show want, they need you to be good. They have this puzzle that they're putting together and they got to fit it all together. And sometimes your puzzle piece doesn't fit with everyone else's for some reason or other but they love you. They think, wow, this person is so great. And so I just want people to know if you don't get cast in the show that you really want, doesn't mean that that person doesn't think so highly of you and wants to use you in the future. So yeah, just keep plugging along, keep working, keep putting yourself out there and being a good person. Because if, if you have that effort, if you are working hard and trying, it'll, it'll happen. It might take a while because things can take a while. Good advice. Well, one of the one of the themes that Matt and I have had in our podcast since we started the show was all the impacts of COVID. I mean, obviously the podcast was a result of COVID and mm-hmm. us looking to kind of fill that fill that gap. We talk about scratching the the acting itch, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about a number of virtual shows and things um, going on out there. Now, this spring, you are going to be appearing as Yago in the Women's Theater Festival virtual production of Othello. Yeah. And looking through your social media, you seem to be super excited about this. Uh, so tell us what this role means to you and, and why this production is so special. What's weird is I, I heard about this through Instagram a Instagram acquaintance of mine, you know, Instagram friend, uh, internet friend, we've never met, but um, she's also an acting coach, sent me the audition notice and was like, you should do this. And um, the Women's Theater Festival was ar- already on my radar because I had applied to direct something in their virtual fall productions and didn't get it. Again, you know, sometimes you don't get things <laughs> and normalizing that. So I didn't get it, but they had sent me an email and said, oh, we really like you. And then uh, my internet friend sent me this casting listing and was like, hey, you like Shakespeare? You like this? So uh, I was like, I love Shakespeare. This is great. And I looked into it and was so excited by their team and their audition notice. So they're setting Othello, which is a problematic Shakespeare show, but they're setting it in a elite women's college. And the cast is made up of uh, BIPOC actors, except for Iago, who will be the one white person. And I loved how thoughtful the director and the producer were about how to tell this story with a lens, um, looking through race and gender and what these white supremacist racist thoughts of Iago um, look like in a contemporary setting. And, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, I have a lot of character study to draw from with what's going on in our country right now. But yeah, I think it's, it's really, really exciting to have a Black director taking this script, which, you know, in Shakespeare's day, it was all white men performing this. So how can we reclaim and, and repurpose the story in a way that makes sense for us in a contemporary setting? And I think that is so exciting. Plus I love to play 
bad guys. <laughs> They're the most fun. They're so fun. And, you know, I have a really, you know, I look like a nice person and I am a nice person most days. No, uh, but yeah, it's, it's really fun to play super villains. Um, and so that, that's also really exciting. So I didn't, you know, I kind of went in with low expectations, but high preparedness and gave it my best and was like, just honored to be called back. Cause I knew that they had, you know, over a hundred submissions and, narrowed it down. There was eight of us called back for Iago and then I got it. And I think that was really exciting and surprising and fun, a fun challenge. Well, keep us up to date on that. Uh, mm -hmm. We'll definitely want to link it and promote it and uh, send folks your way. So again, our guest uh, is Zandi Carlson, uh, Seattle-based actor, director, coach, and uh, wearer of many hats. Uh, when we come back, Zandi's going to be sharing uh, with us some tips for building your brand as an actor, especially if you're a newer actor, and uh, offer some tips on things like audition wardrobe, self-taping, social media promotion, a whole lot of things she's an expert at. So stay tuned, and we will be right back on Heilman and Haver. Welcome back to Heilman and Haver. Today is January 29th, the birthday of comedian and actor W.C. Fields, famed German director and producer Ernst Lubitsch, and Magnum P.I. himself, and reverse mortgage spokesman Tom Selleck. <laughs> and also a big day for film release anniversaries. Disney's Sleeping Beauty in 1959, Dr. Strangelove, directed by Stanley Kubrick and starring the magnificent Peter Sellers and George C. Scott in 1964, and in 2012, Marvel film Black Panther, directed by Ryan Coogler and starring the late Chadwick Boseman, premiered in Los Angeles. And make sure to check out our latest episode of In the Mix in honor of two more important dates this week, the 51st anniversary of the premiere of the film version of MASH in 1970, and the 85th birthday of Alan Alda best known as Hawkeye Pierce in the TV version of MASH and not as well known, but still pretty awesome as the president and one of my favorites, Canadian Bacon. We'll mix up some drinks and lift a glass to Hawkeye, Trapper John, Radar O'Reilly and the gang to celebrate. And today in Heilman and Haver history, we're pleased to be joined by the lovely and talented Seattle-based actor and director, Zandi Carlson. Zandi is also an acting coach. And uh, back in December, I took part in her uh, virtual class, Actor Branding Basics. And I was really impressed uh, by the instruction and uh, the tools that she presented. So Zandi, one of the questions I think I asked actually during the webinar, um, when should an actor start building their brand? Uh, should someone like me wait until they have a certain number of shows under their belt or getting headshots or an acting resume? Well, I think the thing to think about with branding is you're always building your brand, whether or not you're intentional about it is up to you. So your brand is, is who you are and how people perceive you for better or for worse, whatever it is, that is your brand. And as an actor, you can use your uh, actor brand tools like your resume and your headshot and your social media or your website, um, all of that, all your auditions that you send in, right? All your self tapes, that's part of your brand. Um, and the more intentional you are about how you're putting yourself out there, I think that the more that helps you be castable. So we all start somewhere. And if you have the budget to invest in a quality headshot, I think it's worth it. I think that having a really great photo that captures you, that looks like you, that looks like the most present specific version of you is, is wonderful and makes you look like you have professional respect for the business, whether or not you are 
at a professional level yet, um, it shows that you have effort and, and everything. But I do think that you can also get a really great photo that is not hundreds and hundreds of dollars if that's where you're at. If you're a high school student, especially if every, you know, every six months you look like a different person because you're changing <laughs> so much, I don't think you need to invest in the most expensive one every year. Um, so there, you know, there it really depends on where you're at. But having a great photographer capture that essence of who you are, I don't think you're gonna regret it putting that investment in. And then as for a resume, a well-formatted, simple beginner resume shows me that you care, that you put effort and thought into it. Whether or not you have a ton of credits or a ton of experience, just formatting it nicely and simply tells me something. Whereas if you're auditioning for something and you don't have one, then it seems like you didn't care. You didn't try. Right. But if you have something that even if it's as simple as your name, your contact info, any training that you've done, even if you have no experience whatsoever, if you can say, you know, I'm in a choir, I am a expert bicyclist. I took square dancing, whatever it is (laughs) that you could offer that, that tells us something. So there's all things that you can do simply. And then as you build it up, then you can get more specific and intentional about how you use which credits you put on your resume, because eventually you're not putting everything on. I've been in enough shows that it would, it would be more than one page. And for acting resumes, it's matching up to your headshot, which is an eight by 10. So you even have to trim that eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper into a smaller thing. So like check those margins, right? Make sure you can trim it. And then you think about telling that story of which roles do I want to put first? It doesn't have to be chronological. It could be, this is a part that I nailed, that I love. And I'm going to put that at the top because we don't look at every single role eventually. Like when you have a bunch listed, we don't read every single word on your resume. We glance at it. We get a sense of who you are. So yeah, I think just making sure wherever you're at is clean, professional, well thought out, that tells tells me something about you you caring you putting energy into it. Cool. Well, I want to get your thoughts on on the next step. So there we we're building the brand. We're we're getting ready to audition and put ourselves in a position to uh, to get the role we want. Uh, well, now that we're in the middle of COVID and everything is virtual, you're going to be in a virtual show. We've spoken to a number of people with uh, also doing virtual shows. Auditions are virtual. So what? are your suggestions for virtual auditions and anything from, do we need to have a professional, you know, sound system at home, you know, the microphone camera, uh, do we need to dress well for that, uh, for that audition? Is there any unique advice you have for the virtual auditions? Yeah. So there's two different kinds of, well, there's probably more, but there are two main kinds of virtual auditions. The first is a self tape, which is one that you are recording on your own, You're going to have a file that however they want you to send it in. Some people want you to upload it to YouTube and send a link. Some people will have you do some sort of file transfer system, but you send them a finished product of your audition. And then you have Zoom auditions or, you know, Google Meets or whatever it is, where you get to see the director, the casting director, producers, and you are reading live in front of them in your camera, right? In your, in your computer, you're not live in front of them because we're not live in front of anyone these days, but 
um, yeah, you're at home and you can communicate with them. They might give you direction. You might be reading opposite people um, that they're considering for the other role, or you might have a reader. Um, so those are the two different kinds. And for both of them, I think the main things are you want to be seen and you want to be heard, whatever that means. If that means that you're using your phone, which I still use for self-tapes, great. Like use your phone. You can use your computer camera. It doesn't have to be fancy. I mean, iPhones are pretty fancy these days, but it doesn't have to be, you know, a DSLR recorder, right? Like you don't have to do that. If you have a nice quality um, smartphone, that is what most of us are using. So you want to be seen. You want to have some sort of light source. Natural light is fantastic. If you can get you know, a, a big window with like a sheer curtain over it. So you don't have that direct shadowy glare. Whew, some of the best people, you know, lighting is that natural light by that window. So that's fantastic too. But just think about what do you need to do is if the overhead lighting is making you look kind of spooky, if you're recording in the evening, what can you do? Do you have a lamp that you can move? Do you have a little like clip light that you can have? If this is something that you're really invested in, then it might be time to buy some soft boxes, buy a ring light, invest in some things to make it a little bit nicer, but we just want to make sure that we can see you. And then I think even more important, we want to be able to hear you. There are some really affordable lapel mics that you can get that are like 15 bucks. Um, you can clip it to your shirt, hide the cord. Cause you know, we don't want to be too tacky, right? But like the cord dangling. So kind of conceal it how you can. Um, I shoot with a shotgun microphone. It's a little more expensive, but that just plugs right into my phone and picks up sound really well. It also doesn't pick up ambient sound. So I was able to use that before I had my studio. I was able to use that in my living room and it really wouldn't pick up um, the trucks driving by or, you know, you got to be aware of what are your neighbors doing? What kind of, what kind of sound do you have? Do you have the cat that's meowing? Do you have the child that you're trying to like cram in your audition while they're napping? Um, so <laughs> things you got to think about, but again, good quality sound. And honestly, if the baby cries in the background, if your cat meows, they know you're at home. And that's okay. I would say if you have a great take where there's a siren in the background, as long as we can still hear you the most, that's what matters. Again, we're looking for good people to work with who are making interesting acting choices. And then if you just have like a neutral background, that's great. A blank wall is great. I'm even okay if there's a little bit of furniture there. You don't have to completely remove everything. But I was talking with a, I did a, a series, a video series last year when we thought COVID was going to be like a couple of weeks. We're like, so we're going to have to self-tape everything and then have our shows in the summer, right? So people were still casting things. And my director friend who was casting for a, a Shakespeare festival said that someone did their audition sitting on their bed. And it just took her out of the performance because she's like, I'm not, I feel like, you know, it's a too personal. I'm seeing someone sit on their bed like that. I'm not thinking about the character anymore. I'm thinking about this person's bedroom, which I'm right. So distracted. Yeah. You want to think about like, you don't have to hide the fact that you're at home. We know you're at home, but show the most put together place that you can, that you can find. 
Um, and then the more you do it, the more you can invest in, in your tools to make it a little bit fancier. So like we chatted about earlier, uh, as far as your reputation, your best self, <laughs> present, <laughs> present your best self, present the best setting uh, with minimal distractions. Yeah. And then my big tip, and I'm telling everyone this right now these days, is practice auditioning, practice self-tapes, do ones that no one will ever see, or do ones that you send your friend, right? If you have an actor buddy like you guys, you can either be each other's readers or like record monologues. And I have a friend who I'll record something and I'll send it to her and say like, what do you think about this? Like, this is pretty cool. Or like, oh, I kind of did this part weird, right? And and you can get that feedback and that's fantastic. So practice auditions that no one will ever see. And that's when you can fix the technical things. Gosh, I had, so I used to help people with self-taping in my home and before COVID when I could still have people over in my home and I would record on my phone and I have, I even have like a fancy app that I can adjust like the audio gain and the color balance and everything. So um, I was using my phone and whenever I had a client, I would always turn my phone onto airplane mode out of respect. So I didn't get phone calls or text messages or interruptions of any kind. And then when I was recording on my own, I never did. Cause I was like, well, you know, whatever, if someone needs to text me, then I'll answer. And especially when I had zoom readers, uh, a friend of mine who once played my sister in a show, she lives in LA and we were helping each other do these practice auditions and she would be my reader. And then I would watch my tape back and I'd hear this like, and I was like, what is that? And I realized it's because I wasn't turning my phone onto airplane mode and like my microphone was picking up some sort of like internet sound. And I just was so like, oh my gosh, it took me like two weeks of, of taping pretty regularly to catch that. And I'm so glad that I did. And I, now like I have a big note on my wall, it says like airplane mode, like turn it onto airplane mode. So catching those technical things and then also getting used to watching yourself early on when you're watching yourself, it is painful. It is hard to do. And now that I've been practicing self-taping for years now, I can watch my performances critically, but also enjoy them. Like I have scenes where I watch it and go, wow, that's really funny. Or like, Ooh, I'm really moved by that. Or "Mm, I'm not landing that line. I need to go do another take and being able to watch myself critically and know when it's good enough because it's never perfect. And I can send that in versus when I can catch my own mistakes that is so important. So practice, 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 practice monologues, practice scenes. If there's a TV show that you like or a character that you're like, hi, I'm kind of like this person. You can Google like TV script PDF and maybe find that scene. Um, There's lots of them online where you can transcribe commercials or scenes and just practice. You know, there's some casting directors who are like, be totally memorized it. There's some that are like, always hold the script, mm-hmm. right? You're never going to please any, everyone. So I usually have the material as learned as possible and then also hold it just to be like, hey, look, words is still practice. But yeah, uh, practice memorizing quickly. That's a big thing. And then practice being able to look down and look back up and have that eye line. Because especially with the camera, you know, when you're on stage and someone looks down, it's not as big a deal, but as soon as your eyes are down, we lose you. We lose that connection to you. 
um, on screen. So you got to have who you're talking to, where they are, and be able to know what you're saying. Well, I suppose that's one of the benefits of, of the technology we have at our disposal now is the fact that you can, with relative ease, set up a quote unquote teleprompter uh, like we're doing now. Uh, we have, I've, I'm looking into the camera and seeing you, but I have my notes in front of me and, and it's just a, a small eye movement to, to refer, you know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So speaking of online tools, things like uh, we've, we've covered uh, almost everything else, resumes and, and wardrobe for auditioning and, and self-taping personal online tools like websites, uh, social media presence. Uh, there's so many different social media avenues now. Um, and, you know, you got us oldsters on Facebook and, 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 but, you know, is it, is it Instagram? Is it Snapchat? Is it, what, what is valuable? Where should we be spending our time as new actors or at, at any level? And are there some online tools that you find are, are helpful for everybody for self-promotion? I mean, I think if there's a platform that you love and feel confident in, like do that. But I just joined TikTok last month, you know, and you feel really old because they're like, all right, older people in TikTok, as long as you were born like before 1995. And I'm like, that's old to you? <laughs> <gasps> but <laughs> there's so many cool things happening, especially in the theater world on TikTok right now that I think is Awesome. So there was the Ratatouille musical, which was a community collaborative digital creation. And people were like, this is my song for this moment. And this is my choreography. And this is how I would design the playbill if I were to do that. And now there's Bridgerton, the musical on TikTok. And it is so cool watching these young composers create, they go live and show the process of how they're writing these songs. And then people are singing them and their accounts are blowing up. And it is so neat. And I also feel like the TikTok algorithm knows you faster than other ones that I found. I was like, oh, you know, I have ADHD. Great. I'm going to enjoy all this ADHD content um, <laughs> and theater. Cool. Um, so I think in terms of using it for self-promotion, uh, just sharing your process, sharing, um, where you're at. I think people really like to see the behind the scenes and like to see the, the process, right? Cause sometimes we see actors who have that perfect seeming performance, like polished performance. And we go, wow, they're so good. I could never do that. But what we're not seeing is all their, you know, voice cracks and their frustrations and, um, you know, all the things that go into making that moment. And I think more and more people want to see that they want to see the process. They want to see how the sausage gets made and, and the mistakes and the, the discoveries. Right. And I think that's one cool thing about self-promotion with, with social media is sharing that, but also you got to be aware that people it's forever and uh, people will find it. So be aware of what you're putting out there. It's our way of networking. It's our way of connecting, but it's also our way of vetting people. So complaining about things, whining on social media. I mean, I just try to keep it offline. Like tell your friends via text or on a phone call or FaceTime, like don't, don't put your gripes online. And yet if there is a significant problem, 
it is okay to share that. I don't want people to be stuck in toxic positivity so much so that they put themselves in unsafe work environments. So if you have to share something real, that's fine, but just be aware of what you're putting out there and, and making sure that it's quality and truthful and what you want to be known for. As in theater, so as in life. Yeah. Well, Zandy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This is a delight. We have learned so much and uh, we're definitely going to have to have you back. Uh, We had all kinds of fun chats off air too and uh, lots of other topics we could cover uh, if time would allow, but we'll definitely get you back on the show. So uh, everybody listening, if you're looking to take your acting to the next level, uh, specifically your auditioning skills, Zandy offers affordable individual and group classes and uh, all the info can be found on her website, zandycarlson.com. That's Carlson, S-O-N. And where you can also sign up with your email address for updates on classes and uh, be the first to hear about her upcoming performances. So, um, and for all you hip youngsters on TikTok and Instagram, follow Zandy at at Zandy underscore Carlson, C-A-R-L-S-O-N, and uh, take advantage of the dozens of tips and uh, video tutorials she posts very regularly. And you can find all of Zandy's links in the show notes and make a note on your calendar to join us next Friday, February 5th, when we'll welcome talent representative from Big Fish Northwest Talent Agency, Gordon Adams. And don't forget, Heilman and Haver can now be heard every week. You can find us on iTunes, YouTube, Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And if you enjoy the show, make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend or three. We'd love to hear from you, so please join the conversation on Facebook and email us with thoughts and comments at Haver at gmail.com. And until we're treading the boards together again, thank you for supporting local theater and for joining us on Heilman and Haver. 